Blog Talk Radio.
of your hosts for this show. The other host, my partner, Winterbrook, is doing a mediumship demonstration over at the Northport Public Library. So any of you guys who are in the Northport area, please get over to the library. It's okay. You can listen to this show on um, in the archives. But uh, a demonstration of mediumship by Winterbrook is something really not to be missed. She's amazing. So um, we're here, and I'm going to be broadcasting tonight. And the topic is history of Halloween or Samhain. And um, you can call in at 347-677-0699. You can speak with me or if you have any questions, by all means, call in. Uh, I'd also like to dedicate this evening's show to the spirit of Winterbrook's dad, Valentine Ryan. It's the 10th anniversary of his crossing over. And by all means, I want to dedicate this show to him. And uh, next week, so you guys know, November 3rd, we're going to be doing meditation on the show. And the meditation is going to be about animal totems. So we will take you into a meditative state whereby you may or may not meet your animal totem, but it's a good thing to know who your animal totem is and um, get connected. And if you have never before listened to the show, what the Wisdom of Spirit is all about is Winterbrook and I, every week we come together here at 7 o'clock Thursday evenings, and we have different topics that we will speak about which will help guide you in your day-to-day living. These topics include, but are not limited to, spirit messages, guidance, psychic and mediumship chats, alternative healing modalities, We have our monthly meditation. We also discuss chakras, gemstones, divination methods like tarot, runes. We also will be discussing astrology, animal communication, lots and lots of metaphysical topics we have here for you. So um, join us Thursday at uh, 7 o'clock. That's Eastern Daylight Time. And... um, if you miss the show, you can uh, listen to it in the archive version. We are just, you know, if you're a computer person, you click on the link uh, on either Winterbrook's wall or my wall, and it'll take you to this show, but you'll get the archive version of this show. If you'd like more information about me, go to www.readingswithrose.com. And if you'd like more information about Winterbrook, go to www.winterbrookmedium.com. So thank you, everyone, who's listening. And as I said at the outset, this evening's topic is um, history of Halloween, history of Samhain, history of, of, you know, how this all came about. Now, Samhain marks the time of the goddess in the third of her triple aspect, the beloved and wise old crone. 
Unfortunately, the crone goddess has been an object of fear and revulsion in modern society. This is definitely not the way our pagan ancestors viewed her. The crone was always reserved or revered as a woman of power whose vast stories of wisdom came with her age and the lifelong practice of her many skills. Because the triple goddess is the maiden mother crone. And as a woman goes through those periods of her life, she is such. She had compassion without the illusion or sentiment of youth. All knowledge of the maiden and mother lived within her. She is darkness and winter and is associated with wisdom, divination, prophecy, endings, old age, rest, and secrets. Her color is black and her symbols are crow's feathers, bones, spirals, broomsticks, and dark colored stones. The crone is both the destroyer and the healer, the grandmother and the eternal womb of rebirth. Her cauldron is a deep part of Samhain tradition, representing the great cosmic womb in which all things are conceived, grow, and are born. The cauldron became a popular tool among witches because, unlike many pagan ritual tools, it was the everyday object needed for household chores, such as cooking, washing, cleaning, and could not be held up in the court's evidence as witchcraft. Among the goblins, ballerinas, and clowns of children's holiday costumes, the crone is respected, represented by the inevitable Halloween hag or witch. Her much maligned figure, which is do not have green faces, is linked to the earlier aspects of religion, and almost every part of her costume has a symbolic meaning. The word hag from Greek, hagia, originally meant holy one, as in hagios, sacred. Most likely this was derived from ancient Egyptian root word being heg, intelligence, hekat, meaning vessel or female wisdom, is the name of one of the oldest Egyptian goddesses and was derived from heg, as was the name of hecate, or hecate. Sorry, the oldest Greek version of the triform goddess. Now, to her costume, beginning with the hat, the traditional witch's hat is tall and pointed with a flared brim. This type of hat was in vogue during medieval times. It is usually stated that only after this time were witches depicted as wearing this type of hat in order to portray them as being outdated and out of fashion. It was also said in the Middle Ages there was a, a monk named Dunce who discovered that a tall cone-shaped hat, like the one worn by wizards, increased mental activity. So the Dunce cap was invented to not to humiliate children or like make a fool of them, but to help them. Now, which is wise? It's possible they could have used this design to strengthen their energies and add the flared brim as a way of sending out energy to do their will in any direction. The traditional witch's hat, stereotypical as it may be, also symbolizes the cone of power raised within a magic circle. 
Beneath the brim of the hat, there usually protrudes a long and warted nose. It is believed that the earlobes and the tip of the nose continue to grow throughout life. So a long nose symbolizes great age and the wisdom that comes with it. And the elongated ears of the Buddha as well. Remember that wisdom and age are attributes of the crone, the aspect of the goddess honored at this time of year. As for the warts, they're reminded that the wise old women known as witches were also healers. And one of the things that they were adept at healing were warts. It was kind of like advertisement. (laughs) If the idea of healing warts seems trivial, it's important to realize that warts were, well, sometimes and even nowadays, cancerous. So the black clothing of the Halloween witch does not represent the powers of darkness which many seem to realize uh, or, or be under the missing, you know, information, uh, you know, mis- misunderstanding. Um, Christian religion would have people believe that the moon in its waning phase. This aspect of the moon represents the chrome guise of the triple, of the triple goddess. Also, our ancestors would dress in black, when they went to their coven meetings, so as to not be seen in the shadow of the night. Well, you know, I come from, well, was a Christian background, and all the priests and the and the and the nuns wore black. So I don't know, just putting that out there. Another symbolic object is the besom or the broomstick. Once made, the broom, and now made of varying woods. The most traditional besom is a a brush of birch found by willow to a shaft of ash. Like the cauldron, the broom was an everyday household object. It would not be held up as a sign of witchcraft. The fact that elevated their prominence as magical tools, often taking the place of wands and staves, is also part of this. Because of the association, it's not surprising that they quickly became objects of protection. Brooms were placed near the hearth and the door to protect the opening to the home. A broom is often used at the beginning of the circle to sweep away any negativity that has been brought and keep any from entering into sacred space. The brooms structured differently in shape from the flat ones sold today. Around on the end and have a smaller sweeping surface. At Samhain, we are bombarded with images of the demonized crone riding her broom across the moon to the spirit realms. The idea that witches could fly on broomsticks is likely a misunderstanding of astral projection. Astral projection is the art of sending out one's consciousness at will to a location away from the physical body. Not everyone is adept at this as they would like to be, and it takes a lot of effort, more than most people are willing to give. Certain herbal potions can aid the process. A flying ointment was used was, was once used, a mixture of dangerous herbs, toad secretion, and soot. Today, flying ointments are still made to facilitate this state, but without the baneful ingredients. 
the ointments are rubbed on the body, especially around the arms. And a popular ointment is made from mugwort, lavender, and sage in a base of unscented lotion. During the persecution, the presence of a toad in a person's home was considered evidence that the person served Satan. Because toads were thought to be witches' familiars, in fact, people kept these animals as pets. When you live in a house with floors covered with straw, they are excellent for keeping bugs and fleas away. Also, it's believed that the toad's Secretion was one of the ingredients in the flying ointment used to aid astral travel. The other two animals, owls and bats, are also nocturnal. This, therefore, associated them with the moon and magic and witchcraft. Owls are associated with the Greek goddess Athena, the goddess of war, but also the goddess of wisdom. Owls are considered symbols of wisdom and messengers from the spirit world. Hopefully, we'll get into owls next week when we do the meditation on animal totems. For this reason, an owl's wing feather makes a perfect quill pen, especially for keeping a book of shadows. Owls are also sacred to Hecate and screech their loudest in November and then are silent until February. There are messages of Hecate and she has given them the gift of prophecy. Now, take a little break from history and give you some spooky facts about Halloween. Um, the first jack-o'-lanterns were actually made from turnips. Yeah, why turnips, you might say? Well, I will tell you. Long ago, there was a story of a near-do-well named Drunk Jack or Stingy Jack who makes a deal with the devil, offering up his soul in exchange for payment of his pub tab. When the devil comes to collect, Jack tricks him by making him climb a tree and then carving a cross underneath, preventing the devil from climbing down. In exchange for removing the cross, the devil forgives Jack's debt. However, because no one as bad as Jack would ever be allowed into heaven, Jack is forced upon his death to travel to hell and ask for a place there. The devil denies him entrance in revenge, but grants Jack an ember from the fires of hell, which is also known as the will o' the wisp, to light his way through the twilight world to which lost souls are forever condemned. Jack places the ember in a carved-out turnip, to serve as a lantern. So next time you see the lighted turnips or pumpkins, just remember they're holding the fires of hell. Halloween is the second largest grossing commercial holiday after Christmas. Salmonophobia is the fear of Halloween. Also, because the movie Halloween, made back in 1978, was on such a tight budget, they had to use the cheapest mask they could find for the character Michael Myers, which turned out to be a William Shatner Star Trek mask. 
Shatner initially didn't know the mask was in his likeness, but when he found out years later, he said he was honored. Okay, what else do we have here? 50% of kids prefer to receive chocolate candy for Halloween compared to the 24% who prefer non-chocolate candy. The owl is a popular Halloween image in medieval Europe. In medieval Europe, owls were thought to be witches, and hearing owls call meant someone was about to die. The largest pumpkin ever measured was grown in North Craven, who broke the world record in 1993 with an 836-pound pumpkin. Whoa! Trick-or-treating evolved from the ancient Celtic tradition of putting out treats and food to placate spirits who roamed the streets at Halloween, a sacred festival that marked the end of the Celtic calendar year. Souling is a medieval Christian precursor to modern-day trick-or-treating. On Hallowmas, that's November 1, the poor would go door-to-door offering prayers to the dead in exchange for soul cakes. The first known mention of trick-or-treating in print in Northern America occurred in 1927 in Blackie, Alberta, Canada. Black and orange are typically associated with Halloween. Orange is the symbol of strength and endurance, and along with brown and gold, stands for the harvest and autumn. Black is typically a symbol of death and darkness and acts as a reminder that Halloween once was a festival that marked the boundaries between life and death. Ireland is typically believed to be the birthplace of Halloween. Scarecrows, a popular Halloween figure, symbolize the ancient agricultural roots of the holiday. Halloween was variously been called All Hallows' Eve, Witches' Night, Lamb's Will, Snapapple Night, Sam Samhain, and Summer's End. Because Protestant England did not believe in Catholic saints, the rituals traditionally associated with Hallowmas or Halloween, became associated with Guy Fawkes Night. England declared November 5th Guy Fawkes Night to commemorate the capture and execution of Guy Fawkes, who co-conspired to blow up the Parliament in 1605 in order to restore a Catholic king. Harry Houdini was one of the most famous and mysterious magicians who ever lived. Strangely enough, Harry died in 1926 on Halloween night as a result of appendicitis brought on by three stomach punches. Scottish girls believed they could see images of their future husband if they hung wet sheets in front of a fire on Halloween. Other girls believed they would see their boyfriend's faces if they looked into the mirrors while walking downstairs at midnight on Halloween. Here's my favorite. Mexico celebrates the Day of the Dead, 
Dia de los Muertos on Christian holidays, All Saints Day, November 1, and All Souls Day, November 2, instead of Halloween. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Dia de los Muertos. The Day of the Dead is an interesting holiday celebrated in Central and Southern America on November 1 and November 2. Even though it coincides with the Catholic holiday called All Souls and All Saints, the indigenous people have combined this with their own ancient beliefs of honoring their deceased loved ones. They believe that the gates of heaven are open at midnight on October 31, and the spirits of all deceased children, angelitos, are allowed to reunite with their families for 24 hours. On November 2, the spirits of the adults come down to enjoy the festivities that are prepared for them. In most indigenous villages, beautiful altars, known as ofrendas, are made in each home. They are decorated with candles, buckets of flowers, marigolds are the typical flower, uh, also bright red coxcombs, uh, mounds of fruit, nuts, plates of turkey with mole, stacks of tortillas, and a big day of the dead bread called pan de muerto. And in my house, we make pan de muerto every day of the dead every year. Um, and, and do the offerings as well, but the pan de muerto is a must. The altar needs to have lots of food, bottles of soda, hot cocoa, and water for the weary spirits. Toys and candies are left for the angelitos, the little children. Cigarettes, shots of tequila, I mean, you name it, it's like a party. Day of the Dead is like a, a, a very expensive holiday as well because many spend over two months to get ready and to prepare and to buy the necessary offerings to put on the, on the altar. On the afternoon of November 2nd, the festivities are taken to the cemetery. People clean the tombs, play cards, listen to the village band, and reminisce about their loved ones. Tradition keeps the village close. Day of the Dead is also becoming popular in the U.S. Many, you know, perhaps we don't have a way to celebrate and honor our dead, or maybe it's because of the fascination with its mysticism. Because literally, if, if you are in one of those countries, um, on the Day of the Dead, you will find the cemeteries ablaze with candles, ablaze and a buzz with candles and people and music and food, you name it, it's there. They literally celebrate that day with their loved ones who have crossed over. It's such a beautiful way to show that there is life after death and these people embrace it and they know it because, you know, here if you said I'm celebrating, you know, uh, All Souls Day with my, my dead ancestors and we're having, you know, a couple of drinks and some food. People would look at you like you were crazy. However, I myself have done it for years. But, you know, people just don't get that. We are all made out of energy and energy never dies. So these people realize that and they've known it for years because they still go to the 
cemetery and they celebrate in that place with their relatives just as though they were alive and living in their earthly vessels. It's a beautiful tradition. I'm going to take a short break to recoup my voice. Sorry, guys, allergies. And we will be back.
we now return to Wisdom of Spirit with Rose and Winterbrook right here on the Seika Network. Hi, we're back. Another thing about the uh, Day of the Dead I forgot to mention was the sugar skull tradition. The uh, sugar art was brought to the New World by the Italian missionaries in the 17th century. Mexico, abundant in sugar production, and too poor to buy fancy European decorations, learned quickly how to make sugar art for their religious festivals. Clay-molded sugar figures or angels, sheep, and sugar skulls go back to the colonial period. Sugar skull art reflects the folk art style of big, happy smiles, colorful icing, and sparkly tin and glittery adornments. Sugar skulls are labor-intensive and made in very small batches in the homes of sugar skull makers. These wonderful artisans are disappearing as fabricated and imported candy skulls take their place. But there's nothing as beautiful as a big, fancy, unusual, authentic sugar skull. So... um, you know, if you see them or you can find a place to buy them or if you are really industrial and industrious and creative and would like to try and make one, by all means, give it a shot because it, it is a lot of fun and they are beautiful. Um, some more facts. During pre-Halloween uh, celebrations, bonfires were lit to ensure the sun would return after the long, hard winter. Often, Druid priests would throw the bones of cattle into the flames, and hence, bone fire became bonfire. Also, dressing up as ghouls and other spooky creatures originated from the ancient Celtic tradition of townspeople disguising themselves as demons and spirits. The Celts believed that disguising themselves this way would allow them to escape the notice of the real spirits wandering the streets. According to the National Retail Federation, 40.1% of those surveyed plan to wear a Halloween costume. 33% will throw or attend a Halloween party. And Halloween is thought to have originated around 4000 B.C., which means Halloween has been around for 6,000 years. In many countries, such as France and Australia, Halloween is seen as unwanted and overly commercial American influence. Well, leave it to America to overdo things and excess and get crazy. But um, children are more likely to be killed in a pedestrian car accident on Halloween than any other night. So therefore, parents, if you have children, they want to go trick-or-treating, it's great. But I encourage you to dress up yourself, maybe coordinate your costume with your child's costumes, and go out with them. Don't let children go out and um, Halloween trick-or-treating by themselves. You know, by themselves. Um, both Salem, Massachusetts and Anoka, Minnesota are the self-proclaimed Halloween capitals of the world. And 
Boston, Massachusetts, holds the record for the most jack-o'-lanterns lit at once. So those are some spooky facts for you all. hope you enjoy them. And uh, again, let me remind you, you can call in. The number here is 347-677-0699. If you have a question or you'd like to speak with me, please make sure you press the number 1 so I know that you would like to speak. And that being said, we will continue... More animals to Halloween. Uh, Animals that are part of modern-day Halloween decorations are indeed special to witches. These are cats, toads, bats, and owls. Because of their nocturnal habits, cats became associated with witchcraft and along with frogs became known as witches' familiars. Witches were believed to be able to assume the form of a cat and it was believed that they were able to do so only nine times in their lifetime. The cat, with its uncanny ability to sense the presence of the deceased, became associated with Samhain and the season of spirit. This is especially true of black cats, whose color is the symbol of the crone. Because of their association with witchcraft during the persecutions, These lovable and loyal animals were often tortured and burned or drowned along with their human companions. So we hang up, cut out cardboard cats at Salmon, and let their staring eyes remind us to open up our intuitive eyes to the spirits of those that gather around us on this night and let them be a symbol, too, of never again the burning times. Yeah, I will tell you, I am a crone, just turned 60 uh, a few weeks ago, and I have a black cat who is exactly my familiar. And those of you who know me, her name is Pasht, and Pasht gets her name from the original name of the goddess Isis. I'm sorry, Bast, Bastet. Sorry, Isis is my, my goddess on my mind. But um, Bastet, before she was Bastet or Bast, she was the goddess of sensualness and and passion, and therefore, from the passion, the word Pasht. But she later became, from saving cats in, in a temple, she became associated with cats, and she became the goddess of cats and felines, and then hence her name was changed to Bast or Bastet. We will do a show on goddesses and gods and whatever <clears throat> at some point down the line. Um, but my little darling Pasht, yes, that's my familiar. That's my my, my lovely uh, buddy. And uh, I'm a very proud witch. And um, it's sad that people have a misconception and don't understand really what a witch is. Like we said in the beginning of the show, Years ago, witches were the sages, the wise women, the healers, um, the seers. I mean, they were like your go-to for whatever problems and whatever issues you had. Witches helped people navigate their lives with all of their wisdom. So, you know, it's uh, it's sad and unfortunate that a lot of misinterpretation and gossip and, and negative press is surrounds witches, but um, 
by all means, I encourage everyone to go out and get schooled. Uh, investigate, Google it. I mean, look it up. Don't, don't, and, and this is in your own lives uh, day to day. Don't take what somebody else says for for gospel truth, for the real truth. Investigate it yourself. Go look it up. Go check it out. You know, investigate. <laughs> and, and, you know, as far as going, looking for a professional, uh, doctors, psychic, lawyer, uh, hairdresser, whatever. Do your due diligence. Do your investigation. Never take anyone else's word for anything because you never know where it's coming from. So, and I encourage everyone, as we always say here, um, listen to the gut. Your gut, your solar plexus, your your stomach, you know. That is where your intuition sits. That's the seat of your intuition. We all have intuition, and I always tell everyone, your intuition is your internal GPS system. And GPS, in this instance, stands for guided perfectly by spirit. When you tune into that intuition, or when you tune into that gut feeling, as cops and detectives uh, refer to it as, you are tuning into divine wisdom. You're tuning in to spirit and your guides in spirit. And you will never go wrong. If I sat here and told you all how many times I, as a psychic, did not listen to my own gut. <laughs> Matter of fact, I went in the opposite direction because, hey, my ego got in the way. You know, I know everything. Right. Um and then wound up eating crow after it or really being put in a position where the cleanup was much more difficult and messy than had I originally listened to my gut. So now I'm advising everyone, and, you know, you can believe it, you can use it, you can do it, you can adhere to it, or you could say, hey, <clears throat> with you. Whatever you want, you know. We're responsible for our own lives, and we're responsible for what happens to us. It's making the right decision. Are you going to make the right decision? Okay, well, I'm here to tell you. Listen to that gut. So um, now the um, talk a little bit about the, the pumpkin and, and how it's become the most prevalent symbol of Halloween, mostly due to the practice of carving them into jack-o'-lanterns. Now, the jack-o'-lantern is at least 2,000 years old. The first were made in Ireland, and they were simple faces carved into turnips, which could easily be carried if one needed to travel by night. And they were designed to frighten away any evil spirits who might be following a deceased loved one, a deceased loved one, or blocking their way into the land of the dead, also to protect the living. Faces rather than other designs were not chosen at random to be carved into jack-o'-lanterns. The ancient Celts considered the head the most sacred part of the body. It was not only seen as the center of learning, but also as the seat of the immortal soul. The candle inside the jack-o'-lantern represents not only the element of fire, but also the white light of pure spirit. 
spirits, ghosts, and fairies often appear to us as sparks of white light. Not all of the strange faces seen at Halloween belong to the jack-o'-lantern. Children and adults are often seen wearing bizarre clothing and masks. Masks are one of the oldest body adornments known. They have been used ritually in all cultures of the world to invoke animal or totem energies, to aid magic, to raise power, to imitate deities, and to make a spiritual connection with the deity or nature spirit represented by the mask. The first known mask dates from the Paleolithic period and is represented in a cave drawing in France. Some people claim that wearing a mask on Halloween was a ploy to scare away fairies and other mischievous spirits. But it has overtones of being custom from a much later period, perhaps one that grew up around the burning times. During these times, in addition to black clothing, a mask would protect the identity of a witch going through his or her coven. It also had the added benefit of frightening away any inquisitor who might happen upon a lone figure in the night woods. During the burning times, anywhere from several hundred thousand to nine million people most of these people being women, were tortured and executed by burning, hanging, drowning, or stoning. This drove the goddess religion deep underground and decimated healing, knowledge, and women's culture. In Italy, hundreds of women walked into the sea to drown rather than allow the Inquisition to jail and burn them. For many of us, it would be desirable to contact any of those sisters and brothers who may have lost their lives due to their beliefs, although something tells me that the majority of them are alive today. Many women have past life recalls of those times, and many of us were probably incarnate back then. I have to tell you all that. Whenever I'm driving upstate, many times I've been on my way to New Hampshire, And I see the signs for Salem, Massachusetts, and I can really be nowhere near Salem because, you know, as you all know, when you're driving, sometimes the signs, they're really not where, uh, you know, really not very close to what the sign says. But when I see that sign for Salem, chills run up my back. I have never been to Salem. I have a hard time dealing with going there. And I know I'm going to have to take a pilgrimage there to get over this. But um, I have such a strong feeling and I have such strong recall. Or I mean, I can just see and I know what went on there and I'm sure I had a life there. And we'll have to rectify this in this life. One day I will be going to Salem. Uh, however, for the time being, I'll just, you know, pray for the souls that that went and made my own and um, do it gradually 
um, it's been often asked how many of those accused were really witches. And the answers vary from none. They were probably all good Christians to a few misguided souls who thought they were witches to the majority were practicing some form of the craft. In North America, the most impressive display of witch solidarity is seen at the festivities for Halloween every year. More than 3,000 witches from around the world come to Salem to take part in the candlelight vigil from Gallows Hill. The year 1992 marked the 300-year anniversary of the Salem Witch Trials, in which 19 people were hanged and one man pressed to death with stones. Halloween then becomes the understanding and affirmation of women's, her story, and personal past, and a deep honoring of those who have gone before. So, that is basically the, um, oh, pardon me, my allergies. That's basically the, uh, the deal on Halloween. Um, many, many religions and traditions have melded their, their history with Catholic holidays or what have Christian holidays. Um, and, you know, it's just, that's what's been going on, although I say now, you know, there's more information out there, and, yeah, we all have Google, <laughs> so you can all Google uh, and check into the histories, and actually, you know, with with knowledge. When most people think of Halloween. Whoa. Uh, with knowledge there's power, with knowledge there's, there's good things. So you want to um, check it out. I hope everybody has a great Halloween. Just be careful, guys, because it gets a little crazy out there. And, um, you know, oh, we have one caller. Hang on before we leave. There's my buddy, Joseph. Yes, Rose, I love the topic. It touches my heart and my spirit. I want you to know that whenever you want to go to Salem, I got your back. I'm going with you. Oh, you so read my mind. Trip, you are writing, you are writing, uh, what do they call that, shotgun? Shotgun, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you're giving me my shotgun buddy on the way to Salem. There you go. You know, my okay. past lifetime in, in the history of, of witchcraft was mostly in Europe. So Salem, I have a, a love for it and a deep respect and a sentiment for those people who, you know, were, were innocently killed and persecuted, but I would love to go with you. We would have a great time. So you, let's wait till the spring, because I don't fare well in the winter, as you know, and we shall do that. Maybe around my birthday in May. How about that? I could see that. That's, we could put that on the, on the agenda for a, uh, yes. what do they call that? Uh, tentative. Yes, I'll put it in the calendar. Intro, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to go in the month of October, but... Um, yeah, but it's too late right now, but we could do, you could aim for that for next year. I would love to go on the eve of Halloween, you know. We'd have to make reservations weeks and months in advance because I think it gets very crowded. It's a crowded. good thing I have a lot of friends connected over there, so well, I, that would good. be a problem. 
All right. Well, that's good. Well, that's something we need to talk to after the show. We'll talk later about it. But I love the show, and I hope other people are listening and at least should call in and ask you a question or give you an opinion, a statement. It would be great. But all right. Keep up the good work. I'll be listening. All right, Trudy. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. You're welcome, dear. Bye. Okay. So, yeah. And so just to let you guys know, um, we are having uh, next week, Winter Brick will be back with us. So just in case you guys are listening to this in the archives, Winter Brick will be here next week, November 3rd. And we will be discussing, well, there will be a meditation, and we will be hopefully finding out, you know, some of you guys will be finding out your animal totems. Um, When it comes to animal totems, I believe the number is you can have up to nine animal totems. I think I've crossed the five or six animal totem line already. Um, And it will be very interesting to find out who your animal totems are, and what the meaning of said animal is, and we'll be doing that next week. And then after that, let me see if we have enough of a line. I mean, on November 10, we're going to be doing pet readings. So we'll be doing animal communication and readings for your pets. If any of you have a pet that, you know, you don't understand or you, you feel something and you want someone to communicate with your animal, that's the show, November 10. And then on November 17, I will have my guest, Cinnamon Moon. And Cinnamon Moon, she is a psychic and a medium, and she also has her own show. Um, as a matter of fact, Cinnamon has two shows. She has Two Moons Talking, and she also has another show, which the name right now is escaping me. But oh, cinnamon! I think it's cinnamon at night. But um, and definitely visit her her website, which is www.spiritlodge.5uforuniversity.com. It's a great, wonderful, lovely, uh, learned woman. I'm very proud to call her my friend. And um, then on. Uh, November 24, that's Thanksgiving. There will be no show on Thanksgiving because y'all should be celebrating with your families and stuff and not listening to radio or whatever. So um, that is, that's pretty much the lineup for November. And we're very happy for everyone who tunes in each week and you guys in the chat room. And we just love bringing this show to you. And um, we'll be here next week, 7 o'clock, Eastern Daylight Time. And let me just give you guys a little bit of background. As you know, I am a psychic medium, and I've been working as a professional psychic for over 30 years. I've helped thousands of people overcome their doubts, fears, heal their hearts, and go forward in life. Um, Winterbrook is a certified medium who has given public demonstrations of mediumship in the U.S. and internationally. Her program on mediumship is recommended among Long Island public libraries. 
She does a lot of work in the libraries, and she's great. In her work as a psychic medium, Winterbrook has made thousands of connections for people and their loved ones in the spirit world, as well as provided life guidance. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we will be back next week.
Oh.